Hello and welcome to Between the Mountains Adventure Podcast. This episode's guest is Jay Worthy, and Jay is all about living adventurously, from micro-adventures, to test piloting expeditions for rat race, to climbing Penavan 10 times in under 24 hours. And he takes that not only in his own life, but all the way through to his podcast, 28 Summers, which I highly recommend you go and check out. It's one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. So this episode explores about Jay's mindset, the adventures that he's been on, why his podcast is called 28 Summers, which is an inspiring answer in itself. I really hope you enjoy it. And there's not much more I can say um, to do him justice, really. So let's get straight into the interview and get Jay talking and I know you're going to love it so let me know what you think and see you on the other side. Jay, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm good, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Really excited to be on this great podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. That was that was a subtle uh, subtle adjective in there. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, yeah, uh, it's it's nice to have you back on and be chatting as well cuz we'll probably get into it a bit further, but the last time we we spoke was about <laughs> Four or five a.m. at the bottom of Penavan, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, didn't didn't work out as we didn't work out as we planned. We had this kind of romantic idea that we'd be casually climbing Penny Fan, probably for my tenth or twelfth summit, and chatting and getting to know each other. And uh, it was the middle of a storm, but I'm sure we'll get into that. The long and short of it, basically, is you just smashed it, and by the time I got there, you, you, <laughs> you <laughs> like, yeah, done, done it, mate. Free up smoking a cigar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I spend a lot of my time researching guests uh, to try and get questions and information that uh, is useful to the listener uh, and not things that you've been asked many times before. But I think there's an exception on this one. Um, and you know what's coming up, which is <laughs> you run this uh, my turn now brilliant podcast called 28 Summers. Why is it called 28 Summers? Well, first of all, thanks for that, mate. It's very kind. And I and my mine is totally sincere as well. I absolutely love your podcast. I'm ge- a genuine uh, regular listener I'm a big fan um, and so I'm great grateful that you that you listen to my pod and and uh, really appreciate the support and yeah it, it is a question I get asked a lot but but also I think it's a really important question and it is an odd name like right? it's not you know adventure podcasts out there typically have got adventure in the title and they kind of they're Ron Seal they do what they say on the tin and this one is a little bit abstract but um appreciate the opportunity to share the story so to to really understand it i take you back uh, a few years i was living out in the united states i was in a a pretty high powered executive job i was a vice president of a billion dollar company at the time uh, which i later went on to become the president and ceo of um and i was on this kind of rocket fueled career and i had uh, chris all of the all of the trappings of success all of the external markers that if people looked at me they would be like that dude has got his shit together right he's 40 years old he's english in america but running an american billion dollar company he's got you know beautiful family great cars amazing house life is great and that was absolutely true and all of those things were totally true but at the same time i was kind of really in a bad place i i just didn't feel happy i didn't feel fulfilled and you know, I've had, I've had to kind of explain this so many times to my wife because I, you never want somebody to feel like you're unhappy with that part of your life. I love my wife. I love my kids. I'm about to celebrate 14 years being married and I feel so incredibly blessed. 
And at the same time, I felt trapped in my job and, and I felt like I'd been climbing this career ladder and I was gradually getting to the top of this ladder. And as I was going, kind of realizing that I wasn't sure I was going to like the view when I got to the top. And so at the same time, I was starting to feel like I'd let my health uh, deteriorate and I have a background in sport and exercise science the business that we're talking about is in the global fitness industry and so you know I felt like I was starting to drink a bit too much I was getting out of shape I wasn't focusing on my mental health other people were owning my day and so I kind of made a commitment to myself that I was going to start to own my mornings a bit more and not allow people to derail my day and I started a very American thing like working out in my basement so I had a load of toys and fitness equipment in my basement I was working out in the mornings and instead of listening to music I used it as an opportunity to be a learner again and so I started just listening to audiobooks listening to podcasts you know watching videos on YouTube while I was cycling and other things and and on the day in question I happened to be listening to uh, the Tom Bilyeu podcast called Impact Theory and he was interviewing a guest called Jesse Itzler. Jesse at the time was 50, um, very successful entrepreneur, he's a published author um, and he, uh, Tom was asking him like why are you so energetic, you know why are you so fixated on living every single day to the maximum and Jesse said something that just fundamentally stopped me in my tracks. He said um, I just turned 50 and the average uh, average life expectancy of a male in the United States is 78 years old. So I got 28 years left, but it's actually worse than that. I've only got 28 summers left. And if I've only got 28 summers left, how many of those do I have with my kids on holiday before I never get to go on a summer holiday with my kids again? Or how many times am I, if I see my parents once a year, um, cause they live out of state and they're 71 now and the average life expectancy is 78. I'm not going to have seven more years with my mum and dad. I'm going to have seven more summers, seven more trips. That might only be 20 days. And he just said, for me, that is the, that is the, uh, the reinforcing uh, knowledge that I need to, I've got to live my life every single day. So he talks about no zero days. And it's really, it's really funny because you hear people tell these stories back and you always think, oh, it seems a little bit Hollywood. Like, but in that moment, genuinely, everything stopped. I stopped doing what I was doing and I was just struck by, that's it, that's what I've been grappling with. I just turned 40 and the average life expectancy for a, for a Brit is like 82. I was living in America, so call it, you know, call it halfway, 80 years old. I was halfway and I could not get this thought out of my head that I was halfway and I had had a really successful, fortunate life, but I didn't necessarily feel like I'd achieved any of the things that I wanted to achieve for myself individually and that just set me on a path that ultimately saw me through some of the hardest times in my career which had me becoming a um a ceo of that billion dollar company then eventually losing the position of ceo of a billion dollar company because uh, the company was sold and having to repatriate to the uk in 60 days with a four-week-old baby um and dealing with severe severe depression anxiety guilt and you know frankly just didn't know where i fit anymore didn't know where i belonged lost all of my identity and had to claw my way back out to try and find a new identity and a very long-winded response but just to finish up that story what i started to realize was my my identity was was linked to being outside and that is where it was like a petrol station for me. So it was where I found that every time I went outdoors, whether I was just going for a walk with my kids or climbing a mountain or going for a big trail run, 
that I just, it was like it refueled me, it energized me. And I started to realize that. And it, it became obvious to me that uh, being outdoors, living adventurously was what kept me mentally balanced and in a good place and made me feel happy. And as I started to get out of that and, and get into this really positive mindset and start to really go on to achieve some of the stuff we're probably going to talk about, um, I realized that that's something I had to share with the world and pay it forward. And so I launched a podcast called 28 Summers and we talk all the time about living adventurously. And for the most part, I share people's really inspiring stories about how they've you know, done amazing things and, um, and fundamentally changed their lives. Yeah. Absolutely. And and that's why I wanted you to explain it, because it's it's a really powerful message. And uh, I your episode 50 on your podcast was um, uh, another fellow podcast friend and we've got interviewing you. And yeah. and I was meant to listen to it thinking, all oh, right, well, OK, like a good bit of research. You're covering the podcast. I ended up just enjoying it and I didn't, didn't make a single note. And I was sort of half kicking myself and the half just just sort of but just it was just nice to sit back and hear that story and in a bit more depth as well. And um. Every time I've heard you talk about the 28 summers, I, I get interested by the timing. Yeah. And, and, I, and I wonder if you'd heard that podcast five years earlier, would it have yeah. had the same impact? And, and, and it's just weird how timing plays into everything. And I don't know, what, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think it's a really great question. So now you're getting into the questions that nobody's asked me before, which is great. Um, so, yeah, I, look, I think it's a fantastic question. And I actually... Um, I've thought about that before and and I think I think it would have had exactly the same impact on me because I think in reality at that moment I'd been grappling with these feelings for years uh of of kind of being stuck in a career that didn't and and a lifestyle with work that was totally out of balance and 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 there was the the scratch, you know, in the, the itch in the background that I knew something wasn't right. And I knew that I was deprioritizing my family and making some, you know, trade-offs that I shouldn't be making to prioritize my career and, and constantly convincing myself that I was doing that for the benefit of the family. And so there were just things that were wrong. So I think it would have had the same impact on me. And it would be also quite interesting to say how might those subsequent years have played out from a from a work perspective if I have had different balance. Because I'm still a, an executive now and now in a, you know, nearly a five billion dollar company. So I still do do those things and, and work at a very, you know, very senior level in a very large organization. But I would say I'm much more at peace. I'm in a much more balanced leader today than I was five years ago. And I think that's really interesting to the extent that I think that there are qualities of living adventurously that help you become a better leader, a better husband, a better parent um, that you can't teach in a classroom. And, and I've been fortunate enough to be sent on a lot of leadership development courses over the years. And none of them have even come close to teaching me what I've learned just being outdoors and having to be innovative, creative, you know, plan for failure, manage risk and all of those things. So I think it's really interesting. It's actually a really interesting take. I wish it was mine, uh, my, my little bit of insight, but it's only something I, I heard and agree with. <laughs> but I saw it on Facebook in one of the many, 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 many outdoors <laughs> Facebook groups there are. Um, and, and it's basically just going over the lessons that hiking teaches you. Uh, and, and for me, I was reading it with my daughter in mind about why I take her. And one of the points was, is that it teaches you, you can't just give up. You know, you know if you're halfway up a mountain, even if at that point you think, I'm done, 
there's there's no exit window you can't just minimize it like you, you've right. got to at the very least trek back to the car now yeah. <laughs> so so yeah there's some fantastic lessons in the outdoors yeah yeah i think i think that's absolutely true that that's one and another one that's really that's really big for me is you in business we often expect our leaders to and i know this is probably not the track you wanted to go on but i think it's an interesting uh, comment for people but the, in business we expect our leaders to be perfect we expect them to be able to predict everything and and manage everything and when they don't and when things go wrong we get really angry at them and in many cases in business they get fired for not doing a great job and and i think that's really curious because for the most part the things that have gone wrong are broadly out of their control what's what what they've probably done poorly is manage communication and manage expectations and i think you know being able to be aware of what you can and cannot control in the outdoors is is critical for success and and learning you know if you're on a big endurance challenge learning to just accept it is how it is and it's not going to get any better better for the near term is a really um effective way of dealing with adversity in the outdoors and that's true for business as well and so i think the outdoors and adventure teaches you resilience and in order to be a successful leader but also a successful parent a successful husband a successful human we need to be resilient and i think adventure teaches us resilience 100 percent, absolutely and also another topic that you are very passionate about is mental health and mm-hmm. um so not only life skills about expectations but if you look at a lot of the the negative head spaces uh, a lot of people including myself which is where i've learned this from is is if you have a lack of control is when you fall into a bad headspace in a bad situation and when things don't meet your expectations so it's not just about resilience and, and all, all those fantastic qualities as well like 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 you know too it's also about just looking after your simple headspace is managing oh, sure. expectations and just being prepared. So, yeah, and yeah. and I think also it's about having a a toolkit of tools that you know help you individually. It's like if you if you went out hiking and broke your leg, eventually it's going to heal, and um, for the most part, it probably won't bother you again. But but mental health isn't like that. Um, you know, it, it's it's aselective, so it doesn't care how much money you've got or how happy you are in other parts of your life. Number one, it also comes and goes at at will. And so I think being able to develop uh, toolkits that work for you, um, for me, it's being outdoors. I know for you, it's fairly similar. Um, But for other people, it might not be. For other people, it might be poetry or it might be drawing or it might be singing or dancing. And for me, when I talk about living adventurously, I'm talking about I'm talking about all of those things. I'm not necessarily just talking about climbing mountains or trekking through jungles. I'm talking about this idea that um, we have to find what makes us makes us happy, what makes our heart sing, and do more of that, and push our boundaries, and get out of our comfort zone to find more of those things. Because ultimately, they will teach us then how to rebase ourselves when we have those negative feelings. Yeah, and that's actually a beautiful segue as well. Thank you very much because. <laughs> um, without going around the houses to sort of narrow down, you know, that, that concept, basically you're having, um, having no zero days. Um, what is it that gets you up at the crack of dawn before work to go and do an adventure? Yeah. And that, and that's a great question. And Jesse does talk about no zero days, the guy that inspired my, my podcast and my kind of personal mission. I think I probably, as a father of four, soon to be five with a busy job, I tend to focus more on like the win the week kind of mentality. So, you know, I'd love to be out every day 
doing crazy stuff, living adventurously, but it's not practical um, for a lot of people who've got commitments, um, you know, and and other, you know, people they need to care for and, and provide for. So, so I think, you know, for me, I like this idea of win the week. I like this idea of can I can I look back at the end of a week and say, yeah, I lived adventurously this week. I pushed the boundary. I didn't just cruise. I wasn't on cruise control and I did some some cool stuff. Um, so that's that's always in my mind. I've always been a bit of an early bird, so I love getting up early. But also, if you go back to that story I told you at the start, when I really got control of my mental health and my mindset um, uh, and, and kind of equipped myself with those tools, it was all about owning my morning because I kind of got to this point where I realized my mornings were owned by lots of other people. Um, some people I love, some people I didn't love so much, but ultimately I was, I was, my mornings were always owned by other people. And so I realized that getting control of my morning meant that I could set the tone for the day to the extent that I could then get an email from you at nine o'clock in the morning, which if that's the first thing I see on a normal day could completely derail my mood and set up my day for misery. At that point, I'm in control. I've, I've done my breathing. I've done my mobility. I've journaled. I've done some exercise and I've laid out my day. So your email is, you know, it is what it is. I'll get to it and we'll, we'll deal with the problem, but I'm, I'm prepared and I'm ready. And so that speaks to kind of preparation and mindset. So I think that's the big, the big motivation for me. I also love the idea um, that I'm up early and I'm getting ahead while everybody else is sleeping. <laughs> yeah, I gotta say that that is a nice feeling, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, it's almost like, but like, I'm not an early bird whatsoever. Uh, I, I seem to have this this rhythm in my body where no matter what time I go to bed, eight o'clock is a good time for me to get up. <laughs> um, I can actually vouch for you there. So I, I worked a job once, and I I made a habit where I went to the gym in the morning. So before work, uh, when I definitely didn't want to before work I'd go and so yeah I can I, yeah, I agree with 100% with what you're saying is when you've already achieved that exercise and you've got those endorphins running through you the rest of the day is a win yeah. but also if I turned up and there's someone already at the gym now I was like because <laughs> I, I want to be ahead you want to be there first <laughs> yeah. yeah um but I mean, yeah it's, it's it's all fun and games really but um but looking at uh some more specific things now as well you've got your you've got your big four adventures with with one for very good reason being pushed sort of into spring 2022 mm-hmm. but uh, I, I was wondering if more broadly before going into Exuma and your and your fastest known time um, more broadly what is it that made you put those big four adventures together yeah so um, I I'm definitely of the type of person that always needs to have a challenge um, it, you know at some point on the horizon to be to be able to kind of stay really super disciplined on the you know the physical prep and so the kind of the training um so i've always i've always had something big every year um or big-ish every year you know whether it's an ultra marathon or you know various other bits and pieces but i uh, and i've always been really focused on raising money for charity but the last time i did a big charity push was about 2015 um, raising money for for a charity called Scotty's Little Soldiers, which is a charity for bereaved forces children. Uh, it's really close to my heart. I'm actually a trustee of that charity. And because of you know life, work, relocating to the US, relocating back, it had been a while since I'd done something. So I said to my wife, I really want to have a year where I'm going to put a put a flag in the ground and raise a lot of money for Scotty's. And I'd also like to raise money for Mind, um, uh, the mental health charity, for for you know personal reasons, for my own 
you know, battles, but lots of people that I love have had serious battles with mental health issues and, and coming out of a global panic or in the middle of a global pandemic at the time, um, you know, it's clear that people are really struggling uh, with their mental health. So I set out uh, a plan to raise £10,000, um, £5,000, uh, you know, per charity with with four projects, uh, four adventures, if you like, which I call Project Adventure. Um, you know, and, and it's there's there's two reasons to do it. One reason was to raise a load of money and the other reason was to kind of really lay out an adventurous year for me. And that there would be the big milestones of things that I would do over a 12 to 18 month period. But in between, I knew that I would have to be adventurous in between to, to prepare. And I took on things that were progressively harder deliberately. The, the first one that you met me on was deliberately kind of relatively tame in comparison to the, the last one that I will do. And so the <laughs> idea is that they would get progressively harder, push me further and further outside of my comfort zone. And one of the things you've been on my website I, my favorite quote of all time is a T.S. Eliot quote, which is on my front page of my website. And it simply says, if you aren't in over your head, how do you know how tall you are? And I absolutely love that because and I tell it to my kids because those are those moments where we feel desperately out of our depth, scared, uncertain, unsure. They're the moments where growth happens. And I wanted to get back that feeling that I was pushing myself and also demonstrate to others, myself, my kids, that at 43, 44 years old, you're never too late to, to grow and develop and learn and, and kind of make yourself better. So that was the that was the intent. Yeah, absolutely. And so we've been over Penavand and I, I love how you call it relatively tame. Like you, so that was, um, that was uh, essentially climbing Penavan, uh, which is 886 meters from a car park at about two or three hundred meters altitude yeah i think it's closer to 350 something like that the american but, listeners are listening to this just laughing their heads off I'm yeah sure. it's small <laughs> right back off guys uh, um it's um it's small but but it, it, it goes up quickly yeah and um and and you have to do it 10 times in 24 hours and uh i was meant to join for rep like nine or ten or something just just uh just so you could definitely say you did it on your own but i i could i could come along and like sort of like um, do a couple with you and by the time I got there at 4 or 5 a.m or something like that um, you you had already done it you'd already been asleep for a couple hours trying to wait out the storm you'd already done 10 reps in like 16 hours wasn't it or eight, like yeah well what or... happened was um, I I had this plan I'm a I'm a good you know I like to have plans I like to have kind of plan a plan b laid out and that's something I've learned over the years when you do these kind of things is be really thoughtful on you know, what, what's your game plan and what are you going to do if stuff doesn't go your way so that you don't panic in the moment or make bad decisions. And so, you know, the plan was uh, essentially I had two and a half hours broadly, slightly less, but two and a half hours a, a rep up and down. So I had plenty of time and we got there and within the, you know, the, the getting up to the first rep and getting back down, Dom, my friend that was, was kind of crewing to help get me fueled and stuff said uh, there's a weather warning coming in the yellow weather warning in the uk is pretty strong winds at the top they're advising people don't go up um, from about uh, midnight tonight and this was you know 8 30 in the morning so we said you know, what we're going to do and we just both agreed instantly well we just go plan b and plan b is no rest just just go just keep Boston. going <laughs> yeah just just no rest so everything that we planned as rest we wouldn't have or or we would significantly reduce so Originally, I was going to go up and down, rest for 15, 20 minutes, refuel up and down, rest. For, and this time around, we just there was there was I would go up, come down. 
Don would take one water bottle that was empty, give me one that was full, give me some food, and I would go straight back up again, no rest. And, and we just kept doing that. And then every fourth, every fourth rep up, um, I would have like a 10 minute break, maybe put on some dry socks or whatever and have a quick, quick bit of hot food and then go again. And so by the time we got to midnight, 16 hours later, I'd done the 10 reps already. And then the weather, the weather started getting bad. And so I put my head down in the camper van. And when we, when, when you arrived, it was, it was pretty gash and we just kind of made an index call, which, you know, I think in, again, from an ego perspective, this is also plays back to this whole idea of being a better leader and a better, you know, more rounded kind of thoughtful leader. 10 years ago, I would have just said, ah, oh, let's just go for it. Let's just see if we can do 16. But there was no reason to do that. And it would it would have been reckless and it wouldn't have been the right thing to do. Um, and, and I've learned over the years that they're the, they're the times when you've got to be smart. And, you know, I'm sure it would have been fine. But did I want to run the risk of putting Mountain Rescue, you know, uh, in, in harm's way just because I had the ego that I wanted to do 16 reps instead of instead of 10 or something. So it was the right call in the end. Yeah. And, and and I realize as well with the wording I've used, um, you're, you're not a horrible person. There's no signal. So it's not that. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I thought yeah. just in case someone's listening to this going like, what yeah. the fuck? <laughs> like you didn't. And that, that, so I had to turn up blind, basically, yeah. uh, with Cause, no comms. Because I had no no comms, like you said. And also I was just head down. Like I've got to, I've just got to get this done. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, everything. I didn't call my wife. I didn't call my kids. I was just like head down. Let's get it done. Imagine missing the last rep because you'd spent five, 10 minutes trying to get signal to text me. Like, I don't want that. Yeah. yeah and, exactly. and we had a nice brew anyway. So, yeah, <laughs> we had a great brew. You drove about three hours to have a cup of tea with some guy you'd never met in person before. So, <laughs> yeah, legendary status for you. Hey, living adventurously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although, strange danger, everyone. Don't, don't do that. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, the next one that you did, and I want to find out a bit more because, like, f- first of all, more broadly, what was Exuma? Uh, and how did it go? Yeah, so um, a little plug for the for the company that I did it with. There's a there's a company called Rat Race Adventures, which started off years and years ago doing kind of obstacle course racing in in cities, and has evolved over time to be a much more of an adventure business. And you know, fundamentally, what they do is big uh, international events uh, uh, for people who who want to go on crazy adventures and do exciting things, but don't necessarily know where to start. Um, and some of their some of their stuff that they have on their bucket list uh, series uh, is absolutely amazing. Um, and in order to get on the bucket list and have a, a list of these events, they obviously have to test them out. And so they they kind of scheme and come up with ideas and look on Google Earth and say, oh, wouldn't it be cool to go like point to point there or do a circumnavigation of that island? And everybody's kind of nods along. But then at some point they have to figure out, is that something that we could safely deliver to the general public and take 40 people on? And so in order to do that, they run they have a series called Test Pilot Series and they look for people like you and I who are keen to do something like that and be the first person to do it and hopefully prove out that it can be a commercial test but but also maybe prove out that it can't be and therefore you know protecting them from from putting people in harm's way and so i got connected with them um agreed to be a test pilot and and we uh, decided to do what they called the exuma files which the Exuma Islands is a is a chain, an archipelago of islands um, in the Bahamas. And when people hear that, they think, oh, that sounds nice. You basically just went to the Bahamas for, for two weeks, which I did. But um, to put it into perspective, that, that chain of islands makes up essentially one side of the Bermuda Triangle. So it's a pretty gnarly part of the world. Um, it's, it's also uh, a chain of islands um, that has never been 
uh, uh, had, nobody has ever ascended it via by a kind of human power. So nobody had ever done it via a kayak, which is what we chose to do. So we started out in uh, Little Exuma, which is at the base of this chain of islands. And we cycled the length of Little and Great Exuma Islands, which is about 80 kilometers. And then we got into sea kayaks, double sea kayaks, and we kayaked for 160 kilometers up the chain, wild camping on uninhabited islands on the way. Um, culminating in the top of the chain, uh, a place called um, uh, Norman's Cay, which is where Pablo Escobar's plane crashed and the wreck is there in the water. If anybody goes to my Instagram, they'll see a picture of that, of us kayaking over the top of it, which is which is pretty epic. And, and it, you know, again, I, I reinforce that pe- people here Bahamas, and they're like, oh, you, you basically went and chilled on a beach and you, you're sleeping on tropical beaches. Sounds pretty cool. Yeah, it, it's, you know, there's no shade. It's like... 28, 30, 35 degree heat all day long, uh, 90 plus percent humidity. There's no shade. You're dealing with the marine life, which, you know, you've got to be a bit careful. Um, there's, there's, you know, when you're camping on the beaches, it's not like it's like perfectly preserved campsites. You're wild camping, salt water, sand, uh, everything's wet. All your food's going going off from day one. You've got to carry everything with you, including fresh water, um, because there's no supply of fresh water. Um, and, and they're long days, you know, they're long days, you're, you're off the grid, no contact with the family at all. And you've got quite a lot of time with your own mind, which in some cases um, is not always not always the best. In some cases, amazing. And it was I, the way I summarize Exuma is it was equal parts for me, the most breathtaking experience of my life, and one of the hardest experiences of my life. Yeah, absolutely. And and you're you're essentially describing there uh, on two fronts picturesque for the people who listen to this podcast right or at least most of the people i don't want to speak on, on behalf of everyone first of all you're describing really beautiful scenery and when you yeah. say marine life yeah i mean they, they don't care that we're humans they're not going to go oh they're humans they live a different sort of life uh, let them yeah. enjoy themselves uh, you know so there is objective danger but there's also tropical islands and ocean and 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 a lot of the marine life you can go wow I just saw a sea turtle or something i don't know yeah. um and yet at the same time, you're still working and you're still testing it. Yeah. And this is a question that, that you know, long-term listeners of the podcast will, will, will have heard asked in a different format before, but how did you balance uh, essentially living in the moment with still capturing drone footage and making notes of the route and, and, and doing your job that they wanted you to do as well? Yeah, it's that was ironically that was one of the one of the hardest parts of it. So there was a there was a, a camera guy Leo with us who, you know, massive respect to him wasn't just the camera. He was paddling as well. Like he was, so he's doing two jobs, right? But there's a lot of stop start. You know, capturing the drone footage, which you've seen, is is pretty epic. And and this, by the way, is now a commercially available event. So anybody can sign up and do an iteration of this based on our feedback. Um, but yeah, it was it was an ongoing process. So at the end of the day, we would chat around, you know, around a campfire or in some cases just, you know, sat on the beach with our feet in the water, just chatting about, hey, maybe you could do this and maybe that bit wasn't great. And, and at the same time, you're dealing with, you know, all of the challenge of the event, you know, things like broken rudders. And so there's a lot of, like we had a broken rudder one day and we were due to get to the middle uh, middle island, Staniel Key, and we had to get there because we had to have a um uh, a pcr test because of covid um and we didn't have any spare rudders with us so we had to wait for a boat four hours to to come up to us and bring us you know on barbados time so it was supposed to be an hour and it ended up being four hours 
to to bring us the rudder and then we had to make up serious time which meant that we got to our our campsite in the dark um without without really having a clear view of where we were going to camp because we didn't quite make it to where we'd originally planned so there was a lot of complexity in there um and definitely the fact that it was a test pilot added to the the pressure for sure but living in the living in the moment i have i have a couple of amazing memories that i'm certain that one day without being without being morbid you know part of what i talked about with 28 summers is there's this atomic clock somewhere in the world ticking down that says jay worthy above it right and and at some point it's going to hit zero and that'll be the end of my time on this planet and 28 summers for me has always been about if i knew how many days you know hours minutes seconds were left on that clock might i live my life differently and then actually just living my life differently and not caring what that clock says there are a couple of moments from that exuma trip which isn't true of every adventure i did i've done but certainly of that one that i will never ever forget and if i just pause for a moment close my eyes i can picture them now like one time the first day camping on a on a uninhabited island in a hammock looking up at the sky and seeing a moon and scar and stars unlike anything i've ever seen in my life like you see on a hollywood movie and think that's not real that's like enhanced and, and you can't take a picture of it because it never the picture never does it justice and just taking that mental picture as cliched as it sounds like i can see that now and it is breathtaking and, and then one other just really quick we were waiting to your point waiting for some drone footage to be done um so we just we normally you're paddling away and you're creating quite a lot of chop on the water so actually most of the marine life like bugs out as soon as you get close because they don't want to be anywhere near you um and they're mainly like reef sharks and and turtles and um you know uh, stingrays and stuff so they all kind of stay away from you but at this one moment in time we were waiting for about 20 minutes for some drone footage to be taken of an of the other boat that was with us and so we were just sat still in the water no movement just me and the guy jim who's the ceo of rat race just chatting and i saw a shadow up ahead and i said to him oh look looks like a massive sea turtle because it was round it was about 20 feet 20 30 feet away and as it got a bit closer i realized it wasn't round i realized it was long and then it and it came up and then went out like perpendicular to the boat and then turned around and came back at us at 90 degrees pretty slowly um and it was about nine foot long um and it was you know easily four five foot in in uh, in radius and it was a huge huge bull shark massive and it just he came along went underneath the boat went around came back and had a little look around all the time we just sat there just very aware of our own kind of mortality but also the privilege of what we were seeing and then he just he just swam off and i know i'll never forget that moment i know i never will yeah absolutely yeah i, I know yeah that's picturesque as hell man <laughs> yeah it was amazing yeah yeah those, those moments yeah they, they literally just stick with you or more can you say like that's just incredible yeah i just i'm aware of the time what we yeah. we're, we're pushing it but i wanted to explore as well uh, your fastest known time that, mm -hmm. that you've got i guess guinness world record now as well if you've 
apply do you have to apply for that or is there just always a man at every single race ever no no well unless you want to spend like whatever it is 10 grand to have somebody there with a clipboard and until you got your record so you do it you do it yourself you have to provide evidence capture evidence like uh, witness logs and videos and um you know gps files and stuff so we're we're in the process of preparing the package that will be sent to guinness to try and get it recognized as a as a guinness world record but we can certainly claim a an fkt for sure and and it's so uh, I live quite close to uh, the Thames and have long since had a fascination with the idea that the Thames kind of ends at the Thames barrier, which is huge and goes out into the sea. But the source at Kemble is, you know, this tiny little bubble of water coming out of the ground. So I've, I've long since had this idea that I wanted to try and cover the full length. And then I discovered that there were quite a few records of, of descending the Thames from uh, Lechlade in Gloucestershire down to Teddington Lock, which is essentially what they call the non-tidal Thames. So after Teddington Lock, it's tidal, but before Teddington Lock, it's not. There's 43 locks from Lechlade down to Teddington. And there were lots of people that have done it in pedalos. There's some guys that have done it on double stand-up uh, stand paddleboard, single stand-up paddleboard, double kayak. But nobody had ever done it, or at least nobody had got the, the record for single for single kayaks. And so we just decided decided to do that. And we set out from Lechlade um, uh, on the Thursday evening um, and 78 hours and 33 minutes later, we, we landed in Teddington, Teddington Lock um, with, a, with an FKT to boot, which somebody will probably beat at some point, but it was a pretty, a pretty awesome experience. We did it on the 6th to the 8th of August and you would expect that the weather would have been quite good, but we had like biblical rain for the whole uh, for the whole three days, serious headwinds, um, which is ironic because when you look at the map of the Thames, it's it snakes all over the place. So you think at some point you'd have a tailwind, but it never seemed to work out that way for us. Um, so yeah, it was it was pretty gnarly and and it was pretty tough. Um, and we you know we had all kinds of uh, misadventures on there, including a, a kayak that that sank because we got a hole in it. So we had to patch it up with uh, with underwater pond repair kit um, from the local garden center. So yeah, it was a pretty, uh, pretty cool experience. Have you seen that meme with that guy with the tape uh, and, and he slaps on a tape onto the, uh, onto that leaking thing? No. Oh man, I'll, I'll have to send it to you after this. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was probably us, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she just like, slaps some sticky tape on there, right, let's go. Yeah, um, yeah. it was a bit like that. But, but yes, yeah, slightly different conditions to uh, eczema. Yeah. For yeah. sure, for sure, but but equally challenging and and you know really tough. Yeah, and it was it was it was tough. Two hundred, it's two hundred and five kilometers, and you know forty three locks, and um, you know rain rain when you're in a kayak is not a lot of fun because you're getting it from the top and then it bounces back and you're getting it from the bottom as well. So you're basically just wet wet through. And and frankly, we were pretty cold as well because the weather was so bad. But um, but yeah, delighted to have delighted to have crossed the line on that one. Out of interest as well, I mean, I mean, you're you're someone who, uh, not not to be cheesy because we said it so many times, but you you live adventurously, and, and that goes to your fitness as well. Because mm -hmm. one of your goals is to be fitter at fifty than you were at thirty, right? Yeah. So, um, so you are someone who keeps a very high standard of a baseline fitness. Did you do any specific training to uh, to get this this paddle done on the, on the River Thames, or, or did you just jump in having paddled before with the good baseline? No, I did. Uh, well, little, I guess a little bit of a little bit of both. I mean, you know, four four very different challenges in this kind of what I'm calling project adventure, and so 
you know, you, you can do some specificity of training, but you can't be too specific because there's not much time between them. So, you know, after Penny Fan to Exuma was like five weeks. So, you know, if you spend all your time training for Penny Fan, just, just hiking mountains and, and going for elevation work, you've then only got five weeks to train for a 165-kilometer paddle and an 80-kilometer bike ride. So to a certain extent, it's just, you know, general physical preparation, just general um, core uh core strength some some base uh kind of compound strength exercises then a lot of endurance training um but then you know i certainly did a lot of on the water prep um a lot of lower back stuff because i knew that i was going to have you know some challenges there kind of pretty achy and and painy after years and years of rugby um so so yeah i did it did quite a lot of specific stuff and then but this part of the reason for pushing out this last one is i really want to go for it um and see you know what the art of the possible might be in terms of how quickly i might be able to do it um and i'm 44 now and i feel like i really need to put in an even more concerted shift on the training um, but I definitely trained really consistently for the the other three challenges, you know, for for well over well over twelve months, and and probably the first time in my life that I've been that dedicated to training that consistently for a whole year without you know some sporadic breaks. And I can't let you go without two last questions. And uh, and you've said you listened to a few episodes, so you might know what this one is. But um, what is one moment that you would love to relive? That is a. That is a really, a really good one. Um, and uh, I'll probably, I'll probably say something um, that is surprising to you. I, I have um, some like residual anxiety of being in open water. Um, so uh, it's, it's something that I always try to face my fears. And um, there were some moments in Exuma where I had the opportunity to kind of swim in really open water and swim down to see some stuff on the on the ocean floor. Um, and on a couple of occasions, it just didn't feel right. I was too uh, anxious about it. Um, and so I didn't I didn't take those moments. Um, and I think I'd love to go back and take those moments. So I think that's one thing. And then, you know, I think probably um, paddling into uh norman's k on exuma on the last day that was one of the most amazing experiences of my life just that last kind of two kilometers of just knowing that i'd done it and all of the time that i'd been thinking about it there were some pretty big ocean crossings that i was kind of anxious about because you know if you get those wrong you're going to get pushed out or pulled in and, and you know it's pretty dangerous and so getting through that and having the relief and the knowledge that i was there and that I'd done it and that I just needed to kind of cruise in that last 2K was, was just amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And then the last question before we head off is where can we follow your adventures and where can we also listen to what you do? Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. So um, the podcast is available on all the usual platforms. It's um, 28 as in the number, the number 28, the numbers, not the letters. So 28 summers um, uh, and, you know, I, I get to spend most of my time talking to really awesome people that are doing really inspiring things. And, and we, I try to really uh, interview the, the full spectrum of people. So it's not just stuff that feels like it's out of reach. A lot of the stuff that my guests talk about anybody could do if they chose to. Um, and I have a, an Instagram account for that, which is 28 underscore summers. 
but my main account on Instagram is at one day adventurer, the number one, um, for obvious reasons, you know, I really believe that adventure can be absolutely, um, micro adventure just close to home and, and often can have the same benefit as doing the bigger, grander adventures. Um, so that's the, the best places. And my website is, uh, 28summers.com. Perfect. And that will all be in the show notes as well. So thank you. Uh, you can all just go ahead and click right now and go listen to about 50 of those. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it, Chris. It's been really fun. It's nice being on the other side of the microphone. Yeah, man. It's been a total pleasure having you on. Thank you. Thanks, mate.